Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, You are in for a treat today. Uh, As you know, one of the questions I ask is, if I could turn the red circle into a magic carpet, where would you like to fly? And many of you say you'd like to go to TEDx Beacon Street. And so I've landed our red carpet today uh, at the desk of John Werner, who's the organizer of TEDx Beacon Street. John, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I am, I am thrilled. You are, you're one of those um, larger-than-life guys in the TEDx world. I, and, I, and I get the sense that you may know that, but that has absolutely no effect on you. It, like, it doesn't matter. It's like, get out of my way. I have stuff to do. <laughs> I, I think it's a great community. I think uh, being a TEDx organizer gives us license to interact with people, to create things. Um, kind of like James Bond, but a little different. And uh, I'm having a blast doing it. And I think uh, um, there's a lot to learn. And uh, it's nice the way that you're getting people to share best practices as a way to help people think about, you know, where they want to take this. For most people, this isn't a full-time gig, but it's something done on top of their professional and personal lives. And um, yeah, I love it. What's your day job? How do you spend your days? So um, I... uh, well, I was at MIT for a number of years and uh, head of innovation and new ventures for the computer vision machine learning group, went to India 12 times, helped set up some innovation labs there. Uh, but I left uh, MIT uh, to be part of a Silicon Valley startup where a Y Combinator graduate and we create a, a headset where you see holograms. So the future of TED wow. could be uh, augmented reality where you see the physical world, but you get content on top of it. Could be your uh, sight, uh, audio, could be smell, could be touch. And so I'm in that space. But I, um, before that, for 19 years, I ran a nonprofit. And uh, it was called Citizen Schools, where I worked with inner city middle schoolers. And we found volunteers to teach 10-week apprenticeships to them. And at the end of the 10 weeks, the middle schoolers would teach back what they learned, basically doing uh, mini TED Talks. Wow. And uh, we scaled this to a number of cities and, um, you know, a big part of uh, TEDx is figuring out how to harness volunteers, figuring out how to, um, how to have people make presentations. And so I feel like I did that uh, in a prior life. And so it's, it's kind of fun to now do it part of the, the TED network. We, um, you said computer vision. It reminded me that we have a, uh, a speaker at our TED, um, uh, TEDx Santa Barbara, who has come up with a computer vision way to monitor beehives and then use deep mining on the data to monitor hive health, uh, wow. which is just, it's a startup and just sounds fascinating. Tell me, um, when, when did you first get involved with TED? What was your first touchstone? So uh, I, I went to TED in 2010 
out in Long Beach. Yeah. And uh, it was a transformative experience. I mean, it's a great bunch of people. The talks were amazing. Um, I took a lot of pictures and mm. uh, I opened up a, uh, a site where I could load my pictures online so people could experience them because it's cost prohibitive for a lot of people to go. Yeah. Uh, harder to get into than the Oscars, the the TED. A lot of people don't even know there's a TED <laughs> conference. They just see the videos online. Right. And so I wanted people to feel like they could be there. And so I, ah. I put these talks on my images online. And that website has grown. I now have like 500,000 images on it. And I, I put everything there. But, it, but I started my images in the cloud because I had been to that conference. And um, I... I uh, uh, the nonprofit that I ran, a, a, a friend of mine had the TEDx Boston license, and he asked me to help be the curator of that event. And uh, I did. And uh, I helped reach out to a number of speakers. I ended up giving one of the talks myself. And it was a great experience. And then, and then I went and gave a, a talk at, at TED the next year. And my kids saw me being so involved with TED. They said, Dad, who's right. this TED guy? Are you part of a cult? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and my my son had asked me if I could bring an astronaut to school. Uh, he, he said that, uh, he knew I had met some astronauts in the plural at TED and, and thought the kids would really dig it if I brought them to school. And I inquired with the teacher and I said, hey, I can Skype a astronaut from the International Space Station. And uh, the teacher, the first grade teacher said, no, thanks. And that got me thinking... <laughs> Wow, schools aren't set up to bring these kind of right. external people. I mean, after Columbine and you know security things, I think schools are really focused on teaching the basics. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? Let me take out a TEDx license, and um, and 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 I I flip my kid's school into a uh, a place to to do TEDx. The the other thing is um, the the TED that I did in two thousand and eleven and uh, ten and eleven. I created these field trips called adventures and um, 500 people went on the pre-conference adventures that I offered. And I was really fascinated by that because the conference itself had only 500 people attend. And I looked at the people that came to these, these, these 20 pre-conference adventures and 250 of them had been at the conference mm. and the other 250 were friends of the people who had been at mm. the conference. Mm. And then in year two, I did adventures again, and I had 5,000 people come on the, on the adventures. That's more than even came to the conference. And uh, when I started doing 10X Beacon Street, I, I took a name, Beacon Street, because I wanted to say, let's get people out into the streets. Let's not just oh, sit like in chairs and take, uh, take in the content. And so adventures was sort of my mission. And, and the first TED I did in 2012, that was my license. Before I even had a speaker up online, I had Adventure Catalyst because I reached out to the uh, TEDx community and yeah. I said, hey, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like as I start this event, <laughs> but I'd like you to be there. And I want to train you on this idea of taking some of your talks and doing field trips around them. And, you know, all of us TED or TEDx organizers know the feeling how people come up to us and say, hey, pick me, pick me to be a speaker. Yeah. And, and the reality is a lot of it has to do with our agenda and, and, our, our, and how we see the world. And yeah. if we don't yeah. pick someone, it's not that they suck. It's not that, uh, you know, there's some, um, you know, special, you know, way to get on. 
And, and so I wanted 10X organizers to realize the people that they may turn down, they could say, well, why don't you do a field trip, an adventure around the talks? And so my TEDx Beacon oh. Street, um, a core part of it was always having TEDx organizers and always having um, uh, adventures connected with it. I, one thing I've, I've always wondered, and I think I know the answer now, when you went to Long Beach, because I was there that year as well, and they, um, I don't know if people know this, but at, if you go to Big Ted, I don't know what we officially call it. I call it Big Ted. Um, there are these field trips that you can take the day day or two before because people fly in from all over the world. And you could go visit, you know, behind the scenes at Disney Imagineering or go to the aquarium or go, go any uh, any of a number of different things. Was that um, kind of the, the seed that got planted in your head? You got, God, this is really cool. I'm already here. I get to go see this cool stuff. Um, so I, I grew up in New York City, and on the 4th of July every year, I would run the length of Manhattan. And uh, I love, it's 13 miles, yep. and um, you go down Broadway, it's an old, uh, I think, Iroquois uh, tribe uh, uh, route that turned into Broadway. And uh, I love seeing the different transitions between the neighborhoods. And I think I've always been curious that way. And when I went to college, every Sunday, I would give... Uh, tours of the college, history tours, where I would share oh, the history yeah, of the yeah, sure. And they were like these 24-hour dance marathons that just would go on forever and ever. And while I learned history and I, I took a lot of history courses, I, I, I really learned by exploring. And so I've always had this bug of, of, of learning and sharing and exploring. And, and the Citizen Schools, a nonprofit that I helped start for 19 years, was about teaching kids to see the city as a classroom and have volunteers teach from the textbooks of their lives. We would get uh, Googlers and architects and, and, um, and doctors and artists to, to, to share. So I've always been about kind of exploring. And, mm. and I, I think, uh, you know, we're lifelong learners. Uh, yeah, even we, are. We, we get educated in, in, in schools. Uh, I think TEDx is a way to kind of facilitate lifelong learning. And so the adventures for me, you know, started at a young age, um, and uh, I, I remember growing up, my dad would always pick me up uh, from playdates and we would run home uh, no matter what the oh. weather was. Um, and we would never take the bus or, uh, or he wouldn't pick me up in a car or a taxi. We would just explore the city. And, and often I would go to the same, uh, I would go to a friend's house and we'd come home different routes. And that taught me that there's a bunch of different ways that you can get home. And in the 70s, I'm dating myself, uh, before eBay, people would throw things out because there's finite space in, in apartments in New York City. And we would often discover like cool furniture that was just on the street and, and wow. bring it. And so I've always been sort of an explorer. And the talk that I, I gave at TED was about, uh, had elements of this, uh, you know, exploration um, in it. Did you imagine, you know, looking back now, adventures have become a real thing in the TED world, the TEDx world. You know, not everybody does them. There's a, a small percentage, but the ones that do talk extremely uh, positively about the the impact and the effect. And that was one of the one of the things I was looking forward to talking to you about because I, you know, I followed Beacon Street for a long time and followed those adventures. Did you ever believe it would get as big a deal as it is now? Well, um, I actually think it could become a much bigger deal. And uh, I don't 
I think as a TEDx organizer, I feel like I'm spinning a lot of plates mm-hmm. and um, I'm just coordinating and, and organizing and rallying too many things to really double down on adventures as much as I'd like to. And so I've sort of put the idea out there for, for people to run with. And, and here, let, let, me, let me say a few things about it. So if you really explore the kind of philosophy behind adventures, my idea is let's treat the audience as special as we treat the speakers. Yep. And, and so by having TEDx organizers in the audience and putting them on the website that they're, that they're at the event, instead of just having speakers on the event, it's a way of signaling, look, we have interesting people in the audience, not just on stage. And when people sign up for TEDx Beacon Street, um, I don't charge to attend, but what I do ask is share a fun fact. And I always share the list of fun facts of who's coming to the event. And I challenge my community. I say, before you show up, look at who else is going to be in the room and go exchange fun facts. Because I believe for ideas to get escape velocity, it's people in the audience discussing the talks that are going to help them uh, get out there. And sometimes they may be combinations of different talks. Um, so I've always wanted to uh, show that our values are to, to treat the audience well. And uh, by making the event free, that's one way of doing it. But by giving the audience opportunities to engage. And so one way is uh, for months ahead of time, I have the speakers that are going to speak at my event on my website. And I have all these sessions where speakers pitch and, and do run-throughs of their talk. And I invite my community to come to that. Now, I think some other TEDx's don't do it that way. They kind of have a lockbox, kind of closed process. Sometimes most, they just tap someone to speak and, and they just trust that, that, that by reputation that they'll deliver. And so what I want to do is I want to help speakers not give a generic talk that they've already given, but really give a talk of their life. And by putting people in a room, people that they don't know, people yeah. who may you know, not be connected with their subject area, it's, it's, it's empowering for the audience, but it also, I think, is, is, is a way to drive quality. So another thing that I like to do is give the audience opportunities to meet the speakers uh, either before, during, or after the event uh, connected with the talk. And so that's the idea of adventures. And I had this idea of like creating a new unit of media from these adventures, maybe a 90-second documentary, and that we would have different roles. Maybe you could have uh, the host who would um, take the fun facts of who's on the adventures and kind of introduce the audience to the protagonists, the lead speakers. At, at Harvard Business School, I remember we had protagonists of, of case studies. So I was kind of thinking that there would be like a Ryan Seacrest type person that would be the facilitator. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that we'd have different roles. And some people would, would document the event. So instead of just typing on Twitter, I am here, um, we'd have people document and then someone uh, curate that. And so I was intrigued with the idea of creating these mini documentaries from these adventures. And I thought that that content could be as interesting, uh, as dynamic as maybe some of the linear TED Talks that we put on in the red square, red circle, and that maybe one day some of those talks could be you know, more epic and more known um, than the actual talks, and it would be a complement to the, the actual talks. And I also thought this idea of adventures uh, could become um, something that the YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club or uh, in an age of YouTube, what is public access TV? And maybe uh, institutions with buildings could bring people together. They could have talks and then they could set up some adventures either related to the talks or maybe the audience would have some ideas and people would go out and do them. And that could create kind of a sustainable community model 
of engagement. And I thought this could be the Airbnb of field trips. And this is a way uh, to facilitate lifelong learning, yep. self-directed learning, and, um, and intergenerational learning. And I, I haven't touched any of that. Um, but, I, but I think that this is, this is an idea that's actually trans- is much bigger than TED. And, um, and you know, as, we, as we live longer and as, as, as people of different generations are associating, um, you know, how many of your kids or grandkids learn math? Do you help them with their math? But what if you learn math by going to explore, you know, the, how water gets, you know, brought to your town? And every city has sports and arts and technology and things that the city is known for uh, and history. And what if the adventures were all based on that? Uh, so in some ways, I think adventures, you know, ha, you know, as we're just scratching the surface and, and that this could be, this could be an even bigger legacy than the empire that, uh, Ted.com is. I, I, I love that grand vision. And I, I know I've got many, many listeners who pay attention to every word, every idea that comes out in these episodes. So if you have uh, something that John just talked about in adventures, uh, spurred something, gave you a big idea, drop us a note uh, to Hacking the Red Circle or post in the, on the Facebook page. We'd, we'd love to hear about that. John, one of the things that's always intrigued me about uh, your event uh, and I did listen to uh, Jay interviewed you on the hub. That was a that was the one where you blew in a little late, and you just kind of sat down and you're kind of out of breath. And that was that was a great episode uh, a conversation with him. But you don't charge for your event. You have a lot of people there. How do you manage the finances? Yeah, I mean, interesting question. So. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of naive. My first event in 2012, I thought I could get everything in-kinded. Right, right. I actually didn't think I needed to uh, uh, raise any money and, uh, uh, and that I didn't want to pay for real estate. I went to my uh, school superintendent and I said, hey, can I have the school building for this date? And if the superintendent had said no, I probably would have, uh, mm. I, I probably wouldn't have done the event. So I'm, I'm proud to date. We've never paid for real estate. And I know a lot of TEDx's pay a lot for real estate. And I feel like we should be going to places and say, look, we're going to curate not only great speakers, but a great community. And, 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 you know, we should get the venue at, 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 uh, you know, no financial cost to us because we're doing such great work. And, and, and I think a lot of TEDx's blow a big part of their budget on, on, um, on the real estate. Um, so I had a bunch of friends that were related to the video film world and, and, and I, I felt like I, it was like a cast of Gilligan's Island. And I was like, how do I string these people together to do quality video? And that's when I realized that I needed to raise money for video. And at the end of the day, while we have audiences, I tell my speakers, and a lot of my speakers, they, they, they like say to me, you know, who's in the room? Who's in the room? And I, and I know why they're asking. They're asking because they want to tune in the people in the room and they want to be, uh, be respected. They want to be loved. They want the audience to, you know, pat them on the back. I, I, uh, I sometimes say this is like the um, um, Bill Clinton. You know, he goes in a room and he wants to get the highest percentage of people to like him. And what I say to my speakers is, the audience is, is just eye candy for that third vi- camera that's going to show there's an emotional connection between what yep. you're seeing. Yep. Your real audience is on the web. Yep. 
and that you should really do some thinking, you know, who you want to tune in. And I had a kid come and say, you know, I'm, I want to give a talk on Bitcoin. And I said, well, instead of dumbing down Bitcoin, why don't you present a talk that's going to tune in the heads of financial houses um, uh, or, or, you know, tune in all the deans of medical schools and have it go viral, you know, through that audience, depending on the subject matter. And so I, in the process that I work with my speakers, I get them to really think about, you know, who, who do they want the talk to be going to? And that when they look out, that they're really looking out to the world. And, and it's not the multitude of, of, of who listens and the views, but it's, it's making a compelling point that can, um, you know, have impact. And, um, and so, but the reason I don't charge was that I spend quite a bit of money on video. It's, it's 90% of my budget. Yep. And I realized I, um, even if I charged a little bit, I don't know if it would have made much of a dent. Um, and I also like having a diverse audience. You know, I've been to some events where I feel like everyone came in a Volvo, uh, and it, it, it's like elder hostel. And, um, and you know, that, you know, I think that's fine, but I, I want people to come to my event and look around and say, these are the most interesting people I've mm-hmm. been around. Like I, I, if you, if you sign up for my event, I always say, are you over a hundred? Like, you know, I have all the age demographics because I want people to know that we're, we welcome people who are in their twenties and dress in black and are from the cool part of town. We welcome youth. Um, for the majority of our events, we've had a, a, a youth event in the morning. Um, we, we also, for, for a number of years, we had 4,000 people come to our event. So, you know, you said big Ted, who's big Ted. Ted has like 1800. So we, we doubled that. Um, but what people don't realize is our uh, theater only held um, 200 to 250 people. And, and, you know, I, I, I haven't heard of a Ted that, that did it this way, but my, 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 um, my rationale was that we would have 80 speakers, 90 speakers in a weekend, uh, six blocks on a Saturday, six blocks on a Sunday. And when this, the, the block was up, the, the people connected with that speaker would make sure that they were in the theater and we always had the theater filled. So it was a recording studio. And then the rest of the people that signed up might be socializing throughout the building. And um, so the majority of people weren't in the theater when it happened. Uh, we would get these five person uh, bean bags and put them in the gym and uh, people would watch the, the, the simulcast and we created this, you know, this, this community. Um, so that, that's been, been a core to our, our philosophy. I, I am kind of turning a corner and I'm gonna do a bunch of uh, salons the next two years. And, and uh, I'm gonna do events at interesting uh, locations as opposed to doing it at my uh, kid's school. Uh, so we'll see how that works. I want to ask you a question about um, the speaker strategy and preparation and curation, not the curation, because I've got that. With, you know, 90 speakers, how hands-on are you with them? Yeah, so... Um, the the way the first year we had ninety six speakers and and I worked with every one of them and I think for weeks it was like all day Wednesday I would say come to the Whitehead Institute during these hours and then in the afternoon we'd all walk over to Google and we'd be there till midnight and speakers would come and and they they present and I I I didn't realize at the time but by having other speakers in the room 
the other speakers would critique each other. Yeah, yeah. My, my guess is some TEDxes they keep the speakers separate. You know, they have eight speakers. They meet with them one on one. Doesn't even occur to them to have the person who's an expert on balloons help the person who's an expert on gynecology. Right. Uh, you know, with their talk. And so, you know, I didn't intend it, but by having the speakers in the same setting, that was a really nice way to um, help drive uh, quality. So the first year, I worked with them all. And, uh, you know, I remember I had the future king of Tibet, I think, speaking. He was in exile. And I, I, I knew I lived near a Tibetan restaurant. And I went in there and I, I, I got like the staff of the t- Tibetan restaurant to come to Google that night to give that speaker some, some feedback. Um, but then in my second year, the second cycle, I did, did TEDx, Beacon Street. Uh, I realized that that wasn't sustainable. Right. I couldn't be everywhere. And, um, and uh, you know, and what I really enjoyed was finding people. And, you know, I, 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 I collect interesting people. And it's not just famous people. It's the, the unfamous that don't even realize they have a TED talk. Those people are as interesting to me as, as the ones that, you know, everyone would assume would have a good TED talk. Agreed. So I really like finding them and I like kind of being provocative and kind of framing the opportunity, but then I like engaging my community because remember at the end, the values of TEDx Beacon Street was let's show that the audience could have responsibility and access. And so by opening up these speaker sessions, uh, that wove the audience into the, into the process. But then we created, we had these adventure catalysts, which were the TEDx organizers that were coming. And I said, well, let's have speaker catalysts. So for a number of years, we would have a few people, we'd put their head, their names and, and, and uh, headshot on the website. We had speaker catalysts that would then work with speakers and, um, and help them, um, you know, maybe meet at uh, their offices or, or um, at a Starbucks, or maybe some of the speakers had them over. Uh, I call them like Tupperware parties because the speakers would, would go to uh, a speaker catalyst home and the speaker catalyst would invite like five or six friends. I mean, Rob Waldinger, whose talk I think is the 10th most popular talk in the history of TED. And if you look at the vector it's on, it, it's it's going to break top five soon. Um, you know, he went through this process. And and um, and a lot of the people that most believe in TEDx Beacon Street are these speaker catalysts. I think going into 2018, 19, and 20, I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to have these speaker ideation sessions where speakers come and pitch. And then, um, and then as speakers go on to, to work on their talk, I'm going to give them um, the people in the room where speakers are pitching are going to, I'm going to call them idea catalysts because at the end of the day, it's the idea that I want to work on. Yep. And, and then as the speakers leave that setting, uh, I'm going to have people connected with them. I'm going to call them action catalysts. And the action catalysts are going to help the speakers kind of think about um, who do they need to invite to the event, mm-hmm. uh, who do they need to share the talk with after the talk, whether they know them or they're related to the, the topic. Because a lot of TEDx's, I think the, the event happens and then they shut down for four months. They go dark. And I actually think the most exciting time is the months after the event to amplify the ideas by getting the talks out and by having uh, a core of volunteers to work with the speakers to help with that, uh, a lot of good things uh, can can happen. So, so this new cycle, I'm going to have idea catalysts and I'm going to have action catalysts. And um, I'm also changing. It's always been the week or two weeks before Thanksgiving that I've done my event in November. Like if anyone said to me, oh, I'm getting married or, or <laughs> I have a, an event I want you to go to, you know, 
that that weekend was always off limits. Um, and now I'm going to do mini events like this weekend. I don't know if you know, but uh, on Saturday, I've taken over uh, the tropical rainforest at the Franklin Park Zoo. It's part of the Emerald Necklace Olmstead designed in Boston. And the, um, the tapir exhibit where um, the tapirs uh, animals are, we're going to move them out of the exhibit. And I'm actually going to have people speak in the exhibit. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to have it simulcasted into the gorilla exhibit. There's seven lowland gorillas a few exhibits over. And one of the, our speakers is George Church, who's trying to bring back the woolly mammoth. And he's like, uh, he's, he's uh, an, a geneticist uh, who's quite remarkable. Um, we have another lady who, who thinks we shouldn't keep parrots as pets. And so she's going to stand in an exhibit in what many people know as a cage and as a person and talk about how ridiculous it is that people keep parrots. So I think that'll be really funny. Uh, and we have another person giving a talk that many humans or as uh, are more related to gorillas than humans. And people could go over and look at the gorillas that uh, are listening into the simulcast. So that's an example where we're taking a, an interesting venue and we're going to make it into an event. I'm going to do something similar at Fenway Park, and they, they, uh, the baseball stadium here. I'm going to do something similar at the MIT Nano Center. They just built this half a billion dollar center to, to do nano-related uh, research and engineering. Um, and so I want to pick some of the most interesting venues and do salons. So instead of uh, we did like 15 events at my kid's elementary school, uh, now I want to think about uh, taking the event on the road. I had an interesting idea, John, uh, in listening to that. I, I wish I lived uh, in Boston. On the, the one with the gorillas, uh, we know that there's a lot of research on doing sign language communication with gorillas. And there have been TEDx's where you've got someone signing on stage. What if at that talk, someone who was skilled in uh, man-gorilla communication via signs was signing the talk so the gorillas had at least some possibility of paying attention? Is that humanly possible? So um, I think actually this is sort of a sensitive topic. Uh, So in dealing with the zoo, I've gotten to know John Linehan, the head of the zoo, great guy. And I think um, he was telling me that, that, that gorillas that are taught sign language or who, who um, can sign end up becoming very isolated from their oh. other gorillas. And oh. so while I think, you know, you and I could come up with this idea and say, oh, aren't we clever? Isn't this a great idea? It's counterintuitive. And I think ah. uh, uh, there's been some challenges. So, you know, what I want to do is I want to make this fun. And so yeah, people sure. at my event can either watch people give talks or they could walk a few yards over and watch gorillas listen to talks. I just, I, and make, I love you know, that. They, they can make uh, of it what they will. And, and I, I like doing things annually. Um, so, you know, we're going to explore, see how this works. And a year from now, I hope, uh, you know, we're back. And um, I'm excited for the, the, the last talk of the day. We're going to have the tapirs come back and I'm just going to put them in, the, in their exhibit. And I'm just going to videotape it. So, um, you know, I don't know if there's ever been an animal just, you know, doing their thing. Um, uh, but that'll be one of our talks that we post. What, what is, you know, after all these years of doing it, I, I'm curious, um, what's the tally total number of speakers you've had on your stage over the years? 600. 600. And um, total number of attendees, would you say? Uh, I think I did the math. I think it's like 40,000. 40,000. But, but like I said, our real, like in the last few years, 
it would be easier for salmon to swim upstream and like climb Mount Everest than it would be to get on our database. And <laughs> we made it, we were so focused on, on getting our speakers um, prepped and having them work that w- the audience was sort of an afterthought. And, and, um, and, uh, and then I started realizing that, that, that the speakers would bring a lot of their, their friends and, and, um, you know, I've been to other TEDx's, I've spoken at other TEDx's and I often feel like the speakers don't have any emotional connection, any relationship to the people in the audience. They don't know who's there. And, and that's because they're not invested or they're flying in from far away. And so we've created an event where we're, we're trying to create that community. But I think going forward, I want to make building an uh, interesting audience a priority. And so I, I want to I send the message out that anyone who knows someone who's interesting, who knows someone might be a good person to kind of hear ideas, to amplify them, who is a thoughtful person or is connected with interesting networks. I know in Brazil, I think they had a, a, an event where they uh, uh, shared TED Talks with taxi drivers or, or, yep. Uh, yep. or nail yep. salons because those people have a ton of uh, social uh, uh, capitals, a ton of social charisma. Um, so I want to I wanna make, um, you know, I, I'd like to do adventures more uh, in a more um, intentional way and I'd like to invest more in, in building my audience. But, you know, you can't do everything and I pick and choose the things I can do. But now I'm getting around to trying to really build the audience. And by doing these these kind of salons around town, I'm intrigued to see, like, we're going to do one at, um, I'm in talks with, uh, with, um, with REI. And REI has a co-op system, a cooperative. And, you know, maybe they would blast their cooperative. And and when we go to Fenway Park, you know, there are people who love baseball who might come. So that might be a way to kind of tune in audiences that we haven't been getting. And and I thought, I think, you know, doing my event at the elementary school was great, but a lot of people, you know, never heard of an elementary school or it was hard to engage big funders. Sure. Hey, give sure. us big money for the event that's at the elementary school. Um, and so, by you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, a lot of this is experimentation. You know, let me ask you a question. You know, you've, you've interviewed a lot of people you know, a lot of TEDx organizers or people related, you know, you've interviewed me for a little bit now. Are there some themes that are unique to how we're approaching it? Are there some ahas that you're like, wow, that that's an interesting take on it uh, that you think might be uh, interesting for others? And what we do also, it also has to do with a bunch of unique factors that may be converging for us here in Boston that may not be easily replicable, but there are a bunch of things we're doing that, you know, you could paint by numbers and do the exact same thing. There's also a lot of controlled chaos that you may not want to have anything to do with. Um, So to answer that, I would say that, um, you know, there are some pretty well-defined lanes that we as organizers need to stay in. And uh, what I appreciate about what you've done, and I also appreciate about what, uh, how New York has worked with you, is there is, uh, it feels like there's room for innovation and that um, we're not, they're not so hard and fast about rules. So you've been able to, because you've proven through your motivation and the reason you're doing everything, it's, it's of, it's aligned with the overall values of Ted, that you get to stray off the reservation, if you will, and do things and kind of be the vanguard, which is why I think um, people are going to be so interested in listening to this. I mean, your whole idea of of going on location uh, is spectacular. I've not heard that at all yet. Um, and I think that I, I'm thinking of five 
organizers who are listening right now that I'm not going to call out by name, but I know they write down, you know, the, the 20 ideas that come out of each show and then go and try to do those things. So just by virtue of the fact of us having this conversation, we're going to have sown a lot of seeds. Um, I think that for me, the show has been around ideas worth spreading as it relates to the the production and management and curation and uh, everything you need to do to organize one of these events. There's, you know, 37 hats you need to, to wear uh, or have someone else wear. So you need to be good at curating and collaborating and uh, organizing and fundraising and video production. I mean, there's just so many different things. And yet, I talked to TEDx Cancun this morning and, and I asked, well, what got you going? She goes, oh, we just thought it would be cool to do for our community. That was it. You know, no, no bigger thing than that. And that was four years ago and they've learned all of these things on the fly. I think you're um, consistently thinking about the experience is one that uh, I hear, but I don't hear uh, overwhelmingly. I mean, there's a, uh, my first, instance of that was with Wellington, uh, where they had a director of experiences a year ago. And I was like, huh, hadn't even thought of that being uh, someone on the core team who was concerned about the experience of the speakers, the experience of the audience, the experience of the partners, what, you know, what were the touch points like? And that was that person's role. And it, it you know, I, I feel like I'm at the, uh, at the center of this network of amazing people who are themselves at the center of networks of all these amazing people. So we're all learning from one another. And, and um, it's like, even if I did this show every day live, I still would take me 10 years just to get through one year's worth of organizers. There's so much amazing uh, conversations to be had. Yeah, I, I, um, I also am very respectful of, of the lanes and the guides that, that Ted gives. And and I think they're a framework to work within. And, um, you know, I think Ted's been great to work with. Uh, I, I don't consider myself above the law. Uh, you know, I, I try to, you know, stay within the guidelines and, and yep. uh, really respect, uh, respect all that. I, I think I have some, some strategies or philosophies that um, I've sort of baked into things that we do, and I'm excited to share them with people. And, I think having people on your leadership team or your organizing team that have big networks or or are very curious and like to like to um, discover talks or or you know I, I think a lot of TEDx organizers say oh you know adventures are nice but I can't afford to do them and I would say you can't afford not to do them because they they help instead of your view being who's going to be good on the red dot it allows you to think about. Let me map the community and and realize you know what's out there and there's a lot of um, benefits that 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 come come from from them. But how, uh, how big's your core team? Um, you know, it. it uh, I think people have lives, people have jobs, and uh, um, there's you know we've had a lot of people uh, cycle on, cycle off, and and contribute in in various ways. And I think it's more like do we make it easy enough for people to be able to give a little bit, uh, give a medium amount or give a lot. And, um, I think, you know, I'm trying to figure that out and, um, you know, what's the role of interns, what's the role of, uh, 
of others. But uh, our, our, yeah, I, we have great people on our team, and uh, I'm really proud of uh, how awesome they all are. One of the um, the things that uh, I like to is because I'm respectful of our our time here, and I know you've got an event coming up this weekend. Uh, one of the questions I love to ask at the end is if I can take the red carpet as I started the show and say, take that circle, turn it into a red carpet and fly it anywhere in the world. Many people want to fly to Beacon Street. What TEDx would you like to go visit? Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I've actually, I spoke at TEDx Gateway. I, I love that one. I spoke at TEDx Fuzhou. I love that one. I spoke at TEDx Asbury Park, TEDx Mid-Atlantic, um, uh, TEDx Boston I spoke at. So I, I, I spoke at a bunch, um, uh, and uh, and everyone has their own character, own yep. DNA. Yep. Uh, so it's great. Uh, so if I could do an I dream a genie and kind of blink my eyes or, yep. or Matt Harp and yep. go anywhere. Um, um, I guess you know the way I'd answer that is I I, I wish the TEDx organizers could build into their their year time to go to other sites. So it's not so much which one would I go to, but I think it would be healthy for our network, our community of crazies that are running these <laughs> events. And, and you know, the bunch of us probably have much more in common with each other than 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 not. Um, I wish we all could could spend time at other TEDx's, and I, I think it's been a real blessing to have. We we average uh, uh, between fifty and hundred TEDx organizers at my my November uh, event and this year at the uh, Kenny library. And, and one of my five budget items is giving out red sweatshirts for, for everyone. And, and I tell them that they're, they give you superpowers like the, the green lantern ring. And uh, I, I wish it was easier, you know, maybe like uh, an airline could uh, become, you know, adopt this idea if someone's listening and, and fund this exchange, because I think it would be really healthy. And um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of benefit from it. And, and I, I love uh, the TEDx's in the emerging world, um, uh, emerging uh, uh, economies uh, and, and, and the role that they can play to spread ideas. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I ducked that question. Um, but I no, also I like, having, I like having TEDx's, you know, at interesting locations. I'd love to be there you go. Uh, shown some of the, you know, most interesting, you know, in, in the movie The Fugitive where, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Harrison Ford like jumps off the sign that looked like the Hoover's Dam. You know, do a TEDx in that. Um, you know, like like like. Uh, I'd love I'd love to go to those kind of creative uh, venues. Well, this week we had our first TEDx in a refugee camp. Yeah, yeah, right. So that was amazing. And and the way I like to finish the show is um, it shows called Hacking the Red Circle. And uh, for those of us who aren't familiar with what the word hack is in this context, it's the thing that you do that doesn't cost you any money that you feel makes a material impact on the show. It's that thing that every, all of us could do like uh, TEDx Amsterdam. Uh, Paul stands at the front door and he welcomes every single guest in by himself says, hello, introduces himself to every single person. When I heard that, I, I did that. It didn't cost me anything, a little planning ahead of time to, not run around, but my team knew I was going to be out working the line saying hi to everybody. So it's something like that. What is it that you do? We would say was your best hack. Uh, what's my best hack? 
Um, I don't know. I like, I like taking pictures at my event as a way to document it and uh, process what really happened. Um, so uh, I, I yourself or, or give a shot list to a photographer. No, I, I take the pictures myself. Um, what's my best hack? You, you mean, uh, you know, doing something for free that yeah, uh, so something that you do, like there's something you found that just really works and it has a huge impact, but it doesn't cost any money. So any organizer in the world could do that thing that you say, and it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, one idea is uh, we, we have an architecture firm every year takes pride in designing our uh, stage. And I think, uh, you know, instead of, again, paying top dollar, you know, for a location and, and paying for a stage, uh, find find someone who, you know, would really love the opportunity to do it. Uh, I don't know if that, that uh, oh, that's what you're looking for. And then, and then exactly I think, what that, you know what I would say, the fun facts, sending out the fun facts. Oh. I think, uh, and it, it shows that the audience is really important and, and, uh, and that you, uh, uh, you know, reveal them. So instead of, a lot of TEDx to say, hey, ta-da, look who our speakers are, look at their bios. I feel like the fun facts become almost like avatars for who's coming and, and really encouraging the audience to speak. I also, the other uh, hack is that just because my uh, theater held 250 didn't stop me from uh, inviting 4,000 people to come over a weekend and, and uh, that, that realize that people are there to kind of connect and, uh, and they can do that. But, you know, I also could go on forever about some of the things I, I've done that I recommend no one doing and uh, <laughs> like big John, belly flops. Your uh, Honor, can I reserve, for a whole other show? Can I reserve the right to recall the witness for another show? Yes, yes. <laughs> John, thank you so much for joining us on Hacking the Red Circle. This has just been a real treat. Great. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show, or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.